The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Recording this on Cyber Monday, which means it's still the holiday weekend, technically. And uh, EJ, I don't know about you, but for me, holiday weekends, I basically treat like the airport. So rules of society don't matter. It's 11.01 a.m. That means I can drink Calvados neat. Uh, And you know what? I will not hear your judgment. Okay? It's been a long weekend. (laughs) Are you expecting judgment from me? Come on. I thought you knew me better than that at this point because as I sit here and sip my... uh, modified coffee after yes what was a very long weekend no there'll be no judgment from this end none zero we were thinking about breaking down the games from this weekend and and decided that honestly a little bit too depressing so instead (laughs) we're going to talk about the playoff teams uh the teams that uh you know i'm sure most people are, are zeroing in on at this point Last week, we talked about the bottom of the barrel, you know, ways that you could potentially fix the the bottom 10-ish teams. Uh, Today, we're talking about the fatal flaws of everybody that is currently slated to be in the playoffs. I'm sure some of these teams are going to change between now and January. These are just the current, uh, if you go on the ESPN playoff machine, these are the current 14 teams that are in. So obviously, division leaders, it's Dolphins, Ravens, Jags, Chiefs at the moment. Uh, And in the NFC, it's Eagles, Lions, Falcons, 49ers at the moment. In the hunt in the AFC, it's Steelers, Browns, Colts. And in the NFC, it's Cowboys, Vikings, Seahawks. All of them, as good as they may be, or as frustratingly mid as they may be in some of their cases, they all have a fatal flaw. And if they get knocked out in January, it will likely be to or due to these fatal flaws. So we're going to go over them today. Again, it's not guaranteeing that it's going to be the reason they lose, but it's more so if they lose, why might that be? Before we get into all that though, EJ, how are you feeling after this weekend? I am tired. It was a long weekend, but a good one. And holiday weekends, I think you're right. They sort of suspend time. They're a little bit like airports or hospitals. You you go into them, you sort of leak into them. This one, like on a, you know, Wednesday afternoon. And then you're like, oh yeah, it's going to be different for the next five days. And it, it was good. We had food, family, all that good stuff. Some time outside. We've had a rare straight break of like sunny clear weather which never happens at this time of year so i'll take it 
football was a bit of a jumble again. We got a bunch of games on Thursday. We got a whole bunch of really good college games on Saturday. And then, you know, Sunday rolls around and you got leftovers, kind of like leftovers yeah. from Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. Um, and some very strange games there as well. But overall, I've got a, I got a pep in my step today because uh, while it is Cyber Monday, it is also a very big day for bootleg. This has been a long time coming. If you're a bootleg patron, you knew this was coming. You got to vote for the designs, but bootleg gear is live on homage.com. I stayed up until midnight their time, saw it go live on the website. Uh, This is because of all of you. Homage agreed to let us do this because you bought in from the time we started working with them around the draft all through the summer, all the sort of browbeating and (laughs) poking and suggesting that this was going to happen came true. Uh, They gave us a couple of designs. You got to vote as patrons of bootleg. Those four designs are currently up on the website. And not only are they up there, they are on sale right now, which they didn't tell me they were going to be, which is damn cool. I can't remember how long this cyber. Well, it's not really cyber Monday anymore. It's cyber week at this point. Uh, So I I believe it's lasting uh, multiple days. This is going out on Tuesday. We're recording it on Monday. But either way, uh, if you guys uh, want to support the show, anything that you get at the link in the description or using the QR code, we get a cut of it, especially uh, we get a bigger cut if it's bootleg gear, because that's kind of what we do here. Uh, And we appreciate all of you that want to rep the show and support the show. It really does mean a lot. And uh, it's a big reason why, you know, late November, we get to sit here and, and talk about all these playoff teams and and talk about uh, what may or may not be the stake in the grass for these playoff teams. So uh, I'm not going to waste any more of your guys' time. Again, thank you for supporting. And with that, let's get to our first team. We're going to start in the AFC with their division leaders. Dolphins are first up. And I have a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a diatribe when it comes to Miami. And this applies to Miami, it applies to Dallas, it applies to any of these teams that that beat up a lot of really bad teams, like completely boat race them. You know, we saw the Dolphins take it to the Jets on, on Friday in the Black Friday game. And then, you know, they'll run up against the Eagles or some other team above 500 and they'll lose. And this narrative comes out of, oh, they're frauds, right? Like, ah, they, they're, they're bottom feeders. Eh. That that kind of bothers me. That a team can be like seven and three, eight and three. You look at every single metric; they're right up there at the top. And because they lose to Philly, you know, like arguably the best team in the league, or they lose to Kansas City, one of the five best teams in the league, because of an unfortunate Tyreek Hill fumble that led to a defensive score. Like that was the difference in the game. You know, like one play in that game, and all of a sudden this team that is beating up a whole bunch of other actual NFL teams handily is called a fraud and they're discounted. And I hate that narrative for Miami and I hate the narrative for Dallas. Cause it's like, okay, so one game where you lose to the fucking Eagles somehow makes you a bad team and like not worthy of, of respect or talk. Like it makes like, it's all, it's also kind of an insult to the Eagles too. So it's like, oh, so you're saying that the Eagles beating Miami, like, 
that's not a quality win for the Eagles. Like pick pick one, you know, either it's bad for Miami or it's bad for the Eagles or it's good for both. And we could just acknowledge they're both good teams. It makes no sense to me. And it's like the worst part of sports media is that these labels can appear because of a one possession game that's decided by two plays. Like I feel like it's an insult to the audience that we try to boil it down to that, like to that stupid ass label rather than talking about what actually happened in the game. So you know, if we're going to talk about the fatal flaw of the Dolphins, it's that, yes, they do make those killer mistakes. You know, the turnovers, the penalties, like, and they always happen in the worst possible spot against good teams. Does that mean that they're a fraud? No. And it's it's dumb that that's the label that's popped up. Yeah, I don't like the black and white any more than you do. The binary one zero, yes, no, are they good or are they terrible? There's a lot of nuance, especially in the NFL. We know there's a wide middle of teams that have a lot of great qualities and can win on any given Sunday and also can lose when they don't do the right things. I reached out to my friend that works for the Dolphins and I said, if you had to pick one, what would you say? If you had to pick a fatal flaw of this year's Dolphins team, how how would you boil it down? And he said self-inflicted errors on offense. And what he didn't add is at the worst possible time. And that doesn't make them all that much different than the Bills. Like if you look at the end of the Bills-Eagles game yesterday, like one team, you just knew that they were locked in. They're they're like a one of those car crushers, right? They're just kind of inevitable. They just start putting pressure on and they just keep putting pressure on and it's just not going to stop. And sure enough, they're going to win the game. And the other team is not like that at all. And the Bills looked really good right until the end. They took the Eagles to the limit. And then when it counted, crunch time, last five, six minutes of the game, Bills make a mistake. Eagles don't. They get a clutch kick. Gets to overtime. Bills make a mistake. They get a field goal instead of a touchdown. Eagles go down and, oh, yeah, get a touchdown and win. Like, it's just... It's those little things at the end of the game, and the Dolphins are the same way. They can, like you said, get all over the top of teams that have a good defense or unbalanced or aren't considered that great. I do think the narrative is a little bit different between Miami and Dallas, too, because like Dallas will talk about when we get to them, but their situation is slightly different. Their results are similar, but I think their situation is a little bit different. Calling Miami soft or incapable or saying that wins against the Dolphins are not quality wins are all junk narratives. This is a very good team that when they put it all together, and they often do, can absolutely smash really good NFL teams. And then sometimes they don't because of ill-timed errors on offense. And if there's a fatal flaw that's going to trip them up in January, that's the one they've got to get rid of. If they play a clean game in January, they will probably win. Because if we're just talking about talent, if we're talking about scheme, like, yes, 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 they check every single box. In the first Buffalo game that they lost, they had eight penalties for almost 100 yards and a turnover in the loss to Kansas City. Again, they had a fatal turnover that literally resulted in points on a fumble return and a crazy lateral. But but again, like they they cost themselves the difference in the game on that turnover. And then in the Eagles game, they had another 10 penalties and another big turnover. Like when they play clean, they obliterate people. They just have to play clean. So I know it's it seems like such a a simple fatal flaw because it's like the most basic thing you can do as an offense but it's the one thing that they struggle at sometimes and I would say it's a similar story for the Ravens like again you look at every single metric offensively defensively they are top five 
in pretty much everything other than fumbles. Like, they have the fifth highest fumble rate in the entire NFL. They've lost half of them. They are so good as a team that they consistently make up for those fumbles. But if they go up, you know, against, say, Miami, and, you know, Miami plays a clean game and Lamar loses another fumble or, you know, their receivers lose another fumble or they have one of those games where they drop eight passes like they did against Pittsburgh, I I, I'm not sure that they'll be able to make up for that against the type of the types of teams they're going to play against uh, in January. But that's really the only thing that we can nitpick them on. And it's it's to a lesser degree than Miami. Like their overall turnover rate, their overall penalty rate. Like they're they're still cleaner than Miami. It's just fumbles in particular. And usually fumbles like in the middle of an explosive play. It's like they'll get a 20-yard chunk and then give it up. Or Lamar's gonna do a big scramble and then it'll just get poked out. Like it's usually fumbles while they're making a game-changing play. And it's like, oh, come on. Like, if they would just hold on to the ball, they'd win by 30 every single week. So, again, it's super nitpicky for for Baltimore, but it's a very similar issue to Miami where it's like we still haven't seen them play their best game and they still might be the best team in the AFC. They just have to hang on to the ball. They're so good that finding a flaw to talk about, literally any flaw to talk about, is difficult. We had to do some digging. And, you know, you look at the offense and you look at how it was operating, you know, last night. Like, Lamar, such a good passer of the football. So many arm angles, so creative. Just a flick. Puts it on, guys, over and over again. You talked about some drops. They seem to have cleaned that up. Wide receivers are certainly contributing more. They're getting even more out of the run game. The defense has been, I don't want to say lights out, but is playing at really, really good levels good enough that they're being compared to other great Ravens defenses. Even if they're not there yet, if they're in the same conversation, that's a very good neighborhood to be having a house in. And so you're looking at like, well, what is it? And they do have to hang on to the ball. I feel like if for the Ravens, it's fumbles. I feel like for the bills, they gave the stat last night that Josh Allen's had an interception now in eight straight games. Like you're like, ah, oh, I don't know. A lot of quarterbacks throw interceptions. Not very many quarterbacks throw in in eight straight games. Like that's, not great and the fumbles are the ones that sort of and you're right I, I find myself holding my breath do you find yourself doing this watching the Ravens and they're making some play and the receiver like dust somebody and pivots and you're like covered up both arms I don't care <laughs> get it like, like this please like just hold yes, on like <laughs> run like this please because you're just you're waiting for it at this point and it was almost subconscious and until we wrote this out I was like oh that's why I do that that's why I tense up when like a guy breaks through and it looks like he's got 20 yards of free green grass and some safety comes flying in and pokes it out and you're like no you were on your way too you're right it's always at that time it's ill-timed it's a little bit like Miami in that regard but it was hard to find a flaw it is a hard one to clean up with the way Lamar plays he has always been fast and loose with the ball he always hangs it out there like a loaf of bread that's just a thing that he does and it, it kind of feels like this part part and parcel for all the good stuff he gives you fastest quarterback ever to 5,000 rushing yards did you see that last night and the fact 20 games quicker than Vic 20 (laughs) games quicker than Vic think about that that's and there have been so many great quarterbacks that could move like it's it's Vic it's Cam it's um I'm trying to uh 
Cunningham. Like, it, yeah, there, really there have been a lot of great quarterbacks that could really run. And he is the best out of everybody ever in the history of the sport. And he's a good pocket yeah. passer. He just has to hang on to the ball. Like, that's it. That's literally it. This team would <laughs> annihilate everybody if they could just hang on to the ball. That's all they got to do. That's, that's why myths are myths, you know, Greek myths. Achilles, right? Absolutely yes. unbeatable, except for the fumbles. <laughs> uh, 1.6 per game. Like, that's that's unfathomable for a team that yeah, that's good a lot. to somehow have that issue. One quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show. I just want to ask you a question. Do you like free steak? How about do you like free steak for an entire year? Because if so, ButcherBox is giving you the choice between free New York strips, free filet mignons, or free ribeyes in every single order you get for an entire year. Whatever your favorite cut is between those three, you get it for free. But you don't need to just get grass-fed beef. You can get anything. They also have free-range chicken and turkey, wild-caught seafood, and pork that is raised crate-free. So whatever high-quality cuts you can think of, ButcherBox has it available right now to deliver straight to your door in either custom or curated boxes in whatever frequency of delivery you want. And again, for a limited time right now, if you order anything on ButcherBox to get yourself ready for the holidays, those orders will come with your choice of either New York strips, filet mignons, or ribeyes for free in every single order for a year. Just check out ButcherBox at the link in the description and use our promo code BOOTLEG to get those free steaks, plus $20 off your first order as well. Again, that is the link down in the description below and using promo code BOOTLEG at ButcherBox.com BOOTLEG to take advantage of this offer. Thank you again to ButcherBox for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, all right, Jaguars currently leading the AFC South. I'm still a little bit bitter about that game. Like, I get it. There were bad calls on both sides. But after that after that interception, like, they got the makeup call. And it's like, okay, yeah, they are in that one. And then they got another makeup call. And it's like, all right, I'll allow it. And then they just kind of kept happening. And I was like, guys, come on. Like, at some point, we got to be a little bit more balanced here. Anyway, I'm not bitter, EJ. Jags are probably going to no. win the division because they won that game. But if there is something that is going to give them problems in the playoffs, especially if Houston is able to battle their way back and get back into playoff position, which the Colts are now, if Houston can can manage to get back in. Um, the one thing that, that will give Jacksonville an issue is red zone offense. They are 24th in red zone offense in the NFL. They are average, like dead-ass average, in terms of total drive scoring percentage. They're tied with the Bears in scoring drive percentage at 36%. Uh, you know, when they're when they're in the red zone, they get hyper aggressive and it just hasn't really worked out for them this year. It's been an execution issue. There's been problems with receivers running the wrong routes. There's been Trevor making kind of iffy throws. There's been pass protection issues. It's like once they get inside the 20, stuff just goes wrong. And I wish I had a better explanation for it because it's kind of a little bit of everything. But if they don't get that cleaned up by January it's it's going to be a problem. This is a team that is not as powerful as it was even at the end of last year. And we saw a little bit more of a surge at the beginning of this year, and we thought, okay, progression is linear. Aha, we're going to see it. They're just going to keep climbing the mountain. And they've faltered. And watching the game yesterday, what stood out to me is Trevor reminds me a little bit of Geno Smith right now. 
a guy that was playing extremely well at the end of last season was very sharp. We said it on this show, man, you do not want to give Trevor the ball in the last five or six minutes. And he was that way last year. And so was Gino. And this year, right now, both of those guys are playing just a tick off. They're not playing terribly. They're not the reason their teams are losing necessarily. But like yesterday, how many throws was Trevor like, just behind the receiver on that resulted in a drop or no yards after the catch or the receiver had to go to a knee, you know, all of those things. And he just doesn't have that absolute dead eye sharpshooter, like pinpoint accuracy, ability to drive the ball to any level of the field that really threatens a defense. That's not there. He's close. Gino's close, but Gino's holding it too long. Trevor's just a little bit off with the accuracy. He's missing he's not really missing a ton of reads. He's just missing more reads than he did when he was playing damn near perfectly last year. So it sticks out. We know he's a better quarterback than that, but he's not right now. And in a single elimination tournament, if you have an off day, that's it. You're done. And what's frustrating is, you know, especially watching that game yesterday, you you got the dime to Kirk, you know, which was a true dime to to get like 68 yards or whatever, get down to the one. There were some other balls, like when he was rolling out to his right, I'm like, oh my God, all right, T-Law is on one today. And then they just can't finish. Like, and, it, you know, the, the the fourth and one stop wasn't necessarily Trevor's fault. I, calling that play on the goal line in general, I feel like you're just kind of, you're asking to you're asking to lose if you call that play when you're on like the half yard line when literally earlier in the game Trevor just reached over because he's like six six like okay just do that again like I don't I don't know where I'm trying to attack outside, um, but you know again there were there were a couple other ones in the game where like there was a quick out where he was just slightly late on it like just slightly late and it's it's the little things and. If I'm trying to point to like, uh, not not necessarily yesterday, but um, throughout the entire season, if I'm trying to point to one reason why maybe they haven't been as efficient in the red zone is they do tend to be a little bit too reliant on, on attacking in the paint. What I mean by that is they don't necessarily set up yak, after to, uh, yak opportunities in the red zone. Because I do think that there is a place for, say, the screen game in the red zone. There's a place for... You know, people call it like the car wash play or like super mesh where like you're you're running a whole bunch of dudes and you sneak one on like a, a shallow behind it and you're setting up easy, you know, pitch and catch uh, yak opportunities. Um, but you look at Jacksonville and they're second in terms of average depth of target within the 20s at 10.3, which is that's high for being <laughs> in a compressed area if your average depth of target is 10 yards, right? So they go vertical a lot. They don't work underneath. 30% of their throws are short of the sticks. That means 70% are not. And it's a big reason why it just always seems so hard when they're down there because it is hard. Like they're asking Trevor to make lower percentage throws. And when and when Trevor is at like 80% instead of 100%, those lower percentage throws are not going to get completed, right? And again, I, I don't think that Trevor Lawrence has had a bad year. It's just the way they call the offense down there. You need him to to have a great year to get away with that. And I kind of wish that they would rely more on ETN. I wish they would rely more on the screen game. I wish they would rely more on their yards after catch threats. They do have like Evan Ingram and Kirk and everything like that because they have those guys. They're just not really using them in that way. 
So again, it's a fixable issue to me that they just haven't fixed, which is maybe slightly terrifying. It's like, all right, we're 12 weeks into this thing. Like, <laughs> can we do something else, please? We're going to talk about a couple of other teams that, uh, you know, we I felt pretty good about this idea when we talked about it late last week. And I had a couple teams in mind and I thought, I know their fatal flaw. And they came out on Sunday and fixed it. Uh, we'll talk yeah. about two notably, but uh, the Jags are not in that category. And I'm with you. They need to rely a little bit less on bullseyes to win, right? This is If this is darts, you can't get to the end and be like, that's all right, I'm going to hit three bullseyes. We're going to roll out of here with the W because maybe he hits one, he hits a double, and then, oh, nope, he just doesn't hit the ring on the last one, and that's the one inside the 20-yard line. Drive ends, you end up with a field goal instead of a touchdown, and on and on we go. I'm a little concerned. I like the ETN usage. They have, I think, acknowledged the fact that we acknowledged early on in the season He's the engine, makes this team go. Most things should go through him. Calvin Ridley's starting to heat up a little bit, which was good. He definitely had a very um, generously lukewarm period there in the middle of the season. Uh, Those are all good things. But again, if you're going to do all that yak stuff, which I agree, they need to shorten up that depth of target. They need to give some more high percentage opportunities. You got to be on target with those. Like accuracy is super important on those throws, especially in the red zone because you just don't have any time. And right now it's on the back hip. It's on the back hand. Like you just got to click. And again, it's not an easy fix to say, oh, just clean that up and you'll be fine. Like it requires multiple elements. They're down some offensive line now, which doesn't help any matters for really any of the offense. They got things to work on. I would say the Jags are one of the more sort of um, teetering type teams as a division leader um, that, you know, if they got knocked off or knocked out of that place before the end of the season, I don't know that they will, but if they did, you could point back to these issues and say, "Eh, it's kind of their undoing. They're having trouble scoring points. Uh, If you go to the chiefs, the last AFC division leader, kind of the opposite problem in the sense that they are way too reliant on yards after the catch uh they don't really attack down the field at all um you know they have in terms of completions of 20 plus air yards they're 21st at just 14 the entire year so like a little over one per game you know completing a ball down the field you know their td and interception ratio on targets of 20 plus air yards are one to eight like they just they can't get vertical on you and even though we saw Rasheed Rice, you know, finally get have like the game that we've been wanting Rasheed Rice to have, even on the long touchdown, you know, it's three yards past the line of scrimmage, and then he takes off and, and does his yak thing, which he's done all year. So it's it, it feels like this offense, and you look at the receivers, they're still fourth highest in drops in the NFL. This offense is so reliant on, all right, we're going to give the ball to Rasheed and he's going to do something. And then we're going to give the ball to Travis and he's going to do something. And it's it's all like, we're going to break tackles in space. We're going to burn pursuit angles. Um, you know, it, it, Mahomes is going to make some magic happen in the pocket and then find somebody who's going to try to make some magic happen after the catch. Like it all just feels so, uh, what's the word? <laughs> laborious yeah laborious like it's just you know it's it's the total opposite of the jags where it's like all right we're making trevor have to drop dimes just to function whereas kansas city is like 
we know you have a guy who can drop dimes. Go drop some fucking dimes. Like, what are we doing here? Like, is it because you don't believe in your receivers to catch the ball? That's fair. But in the sense, like, that's, in a sense, that's a flaw in its own right of, like, if you don't believe in your receivers enough to attack down the field, that's a problem. If you do believe in your receivers and you're still not doing it, that's also a problem. There are two problems for entirely separate reasons. Either way, the fact that they can still put up 30-plus points and be in contention for the first seed is amazing despite that. But we're talking about the playoffs when you're going to be going up against other great teams in the AFC, cough, cough, Baltimore. You better be ready to get some chunks on, on stuff that's not yards after the catch. Like You better be ready to attack down the field. If you can't do that, they're going to eat you alive. So they got to figure it out. They got to figure out if Rasheed Rice can catch on anything over five yards. Like, if he can't, fine, but at least give the kid a shot because he's been awesome this year. At least see what he can do. You got five, six weeks to figure it out. Better go do it. It's a crazy set of statistics to think of those statistics matching up with Patrick Mahomes, the greatest young quarterback in the game. Like, that's his team that never throws more than five yards, throws one ball more than 15 down the field per game. Like, when you have that guy and that's your stat, that is a complete mismatch. And we the, the Chiefs are fascinating because they have won in different ways each year. But they have never won without big plays. They've gotten big plays in different ways. They've gotten them from different people. They got them after Tyreek Hill left and still won the Super Bowl. But they got big plays. This year, they're just not getting big plays. We've never seen the Chiefs win, you know, all the way out without having big plays. And they just don't right now. And they're going to get themselves in a situation where they have gotten themselves out before with a big play. There are several notable ones. Buffalo fans, you probably want to cover your ears about right now. Right now, (laughs) the Chiefs can't make that play. Like, they're trying it only once a game, and it's usually not working. So when you come down to, oh, we're going to try and flip extra points before the half and you know get the second half kickoff and go on a run, or, hey, it's four minutes left in the game. I don't have four minutes to get down there because maybe we're down by 10. I need to go down and get a touchdown in the next, oh, two minutes or so if we're going to have a chance here. They don't have that right now. They are having to work the ball in small chunks down the field. It takes longer. You're more likely to get tackled in bounds, yada, yada, yada. So it's a fascinating flaw to have. They're still winning despite not having it. But just about every Chiefs team that's gone deep into the playoffs, which is just about every Chiefs team that Patrick's quarterback since he's been in Kansas City, has had a pivotal moment in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl where they needed to go get a chunk play and they could get it. And right now they're hoping for that. That's the best they've got. It's just an interesting thought exercise of, okay, take this Chiefs offense as it is right now. How many wins would this team have if they didn't have a top three defense? In the entire <laughs> league? And it's, it's not half. as many as they currently have. I'll tell you that no, much. I'd, like, I'd say about half. Like Spagnuolo's yeah. been, he's been brilliant. Like Spags has been amazing this year. And that defense has paid real dividends while this offense has tried to figure it out. Because make no mistake, through the first half of this year, they were just trying to figure it out. 
And they would not be there without that defense, pure and simple. Uh, now, if there's one thing that will get them through the absolute grind fest that is the AFC playoffs, it is that defense because if if this doesn't improve, they're just going to have to hold somebody to under 20 and then hope Pat does something crazy with like Justin Watson or whatever in the fourth quarter. Uh, so like as long as they have that defense playing like this, they have a shot to go all the way. It just feels so difficult. Like everything just feels so hard for them right now. And that's, uh, yeah, Pat's earning his money this year. That's for sure. Uh, all right, let's flip it over to the NFC. Eagles. Uh, this is this is kind of a hard one because, you know, again, they, they've beaten a lot of really great teams this year. In some cases, survived some really great teams. You know, I think back to the Dallas game, and I'm like, oh, boy, that was close. And I think back to the Commanders game, and I'm like, oh, that was close. And, you know, even the Chiefs game was 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 pretty close. And they've, they've come back two weeks in a row being down 10. And Jalen does Jalen things, and Devonta Smith does Devonta Smith things. And, again, they're the Eagles. They're awesome. They're great. They're the best team in the league. So finding a flaw was was not easy. But if there is one thing that will be their undoing, I'm not saying it will be. They're probably going to go to the Super Bowl, let's be honest. But if there is one thing that will be their undoing that, say, San Francisco to, could take advantage of or Detroit, if they ever figure out, <laughs> if they ever figure themselves out that Detroit could take advantage of or any other NFC team, it's going to be the Eagles' third down defense. They are atrocious on third down. Absolutely atrocious. Fifth most explosive plays allowed in man coverage in the NFL tied with Washington. And we always talk about how Washington's secondary is, secondary is garbage. The Eagles have allowed just as many explosive plays in man in quarters, which they don't play quarters very often because they can't. They have the second highest passer rating allowed at 112. They stick more to quarter-quarter half so that they can give at least one of their guys, usually the one that's isolated on the backside uh, receiver, uh, you know, help over the top because they, they don't trust him in quarters because in quarters he would essentially be in man-to-man. So they can't play man. They can't play quarters. They have to play either like cover three or quarter-quarter half or they just can't survive. And it's leading to a third down defense that is the third worst in the NFL at 45%. So the one thing that will undo them is Jalen Hurts not being on the field because their defense can't get off the field. And it's going to be long drives, like arduous drives, just the, I don't want to say dink and dunk to death, but kind of, you know, and just limiting the Eagles to like nine possessions in a game. Like that's how you beat them is you don't let them on the field. And right now, when their defensive line isn't completely taking over a game, they can't get off the field, and it's a big problem for them. It showed against the Bills. Uh, Again, change in the offense for the Bills is partly responsible for this, but this has been a team in Buffalo that has not been great about stringing together consistent drives. In fact, that's been one of their Achilles heels. The Eagles allow them to convert 13 of 22 third downs in that game. Many of them long, third and six, third and eight, third and nine, 13 of 22. Like That is not a stat, again, that fits with the Philadelphia defense in terms of talent and scheme and their overall effect, but they are not able to get off the field right now. And this is one of those snapshots of where a team is right now that certainly is different than where they were in the beginning of the year. But right now, if a team like the Lions 
can string together a bunch of drives, it's going to limit their possessions. And if they can just keep clicking off those third downs, and teams can right now, I tend to think the Lions are better at that than a team like the Bills. And if the Bills can do 13 of 22 with many of them being long, that is going to be a factor. Now, does that mean the Lions beat the Eagles? Maybe not, because that offense is really killer when it does get. I mean, the they just struggled so. against Jordan Love, so we'll see. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, right. Lions have their so, own problems. Believe me, they do. Again, when we're picking a fatal flaw, a it was really hard to find for the Eagles. They're a very complete, very powerful team that has a lot of quality wins and always seems to win, even when it seems like they won't. Again, when it comes down to crunch time, four or five minutes, I'm not betting on anybody besides the Eagles this year. They are that team that just sort of gears down, puts it in four low, and just crawls over the rocks until they win the game, and that's that, and then you're done. So that is building. Um, Ross Tucker was talking about it this morning. He was sort of questioning, hey, is it is it Sirianni? Is it Jalen? Is it the culture with the older guys like Kelsey? This, this. No panic. We know what we're doing. We're battle-hardened. This happens all the time. We just don't make mistakes. We let the other team make the mistakes, and then we win. But regardless of why that is, it is, it's happening, it's a fact, the Eagles are on that roll. So even if this is their fatal flaw, does that mean, you know, it's the one we think is going to make them lose? Not likely, but if you got to find a chink in the armor, that's the one. I mean, hell, even when they do make mistakes and you got penalties from Jason Kelsey setting up a 61-yard field goal in the rain... Helps when you got Jake Elliott as the kicker, you know, to make up for that. Like, it's just an unreal team. That kick was, we don't talk about kickers a ton, but that kick in those conditions, like, it had been raining the entire game. It had been raining since pregame warmups, and it is cold. Like, you could see Mm -hmm. them on the sidelines. They're all soaked. It's cold. As a kicker, your leg's usually tight in that situation. Elliott comes out and just drills it let the lets the wind drift it right keeps it inside the sticks like that was a nails kick that might be a top five kick ever like ever like you, you put it up against justin tucker's like record breaker to win you put it up against like vinatieri in the snow in terms of difficulty level outdoors in the rain in the cold in the pressure of that game like that's unbelievable. Like whatever they're paying Elliot, he he made it all on that kick. Like it's yep. just unbelievable. So again, that's the Eagles. Like the fact that they can the fact that they can commit penalties to set up that type of difficult field goal and still hit it. That's just what they are this year, man. It's a team of destiny. Uh we did mention the Lions having a flaw. They're the next team on the docket here. Um you know, some people would watch the Bears game and they, they saw the, the interceptions thrown against Chicago and say that Jared Goff is going to be the flaw. Like, somehow he's going to be the reason this team loses in January. I do not subscribe to that opinion personally because we have a much larger sample of Jared in Detroit being awesome than we do of Jared not being awesome. So I'm going to say that one's probably not going to be repeated. What might be repeated is an issue that they've had the entire year. And that is red zone defense. 69% of red zone trips against Detroit have allowed or have resulted in a touchdown, which is third worst in the NFL. And over the last three games is at 78%. So I would love to see the Jags play against the Lions 
and just have the ultimate <laughs> stoppable force versus movable object. I don't know what the result would be there. Probably like a singularity that swallows the earth whole. But my God, they are bad in the red zone. Yeah, when you're talking about 78% over the last three games, that's not points allowed on those drives. That's touchdowns allowed on those mm-hmm. drives. That's as close to automatic in the NFL as it gets. When something is 80%, you get a touchdown. And all you have to do to earn that is get within the 20s. Like, okay, that's not great. Like Aaron Glenn's defense plays tough. They have definitely been, I don't want to say figured out. They've been figured out a little by opposing offensive coordinators because in the beginning of the year, they were much closer to lights out the first month to six weeks. After that, there was this, they're still slowing people down. But when you look at this, this is telling. This is, I mean, points win ball games, And if you can get it inside the 20 on Detroit, you have an 80% chance to come away with six. That's, that's not good. They're going to have to figure out some creative stops. They've lost some personnel, personnel that they have in there. I, I tend to subscribe to the fact that guys like Aiden Hutchinson are wearing down a little bit. He's still playing really good, but he's played so many snaps for them. Uh, Ali McNeil's, you know, nicked up. They're going to need some other guys. They have other guys, but they haven't stepped up. They're going to need those guys to step up. you got to have explosive plays down there in the red zone as a defense where you get TFLs, you know, push them out of field goal range or, you know, make it third and long instead of third and two to, to kill the drive. And they just haven't been able to do that in the red zone. In fact, the opposite. They're getting rolled regularly. And that's not great come playoff football. Big issue for me. They're a very man-heavy defense down there. Like I and I feel like they're reluctant to play zone down there because they really don't want to have like tight ends or you know like the Mark Andrews types, you know, to kind of just like find space and sit in space. Like they they want to stick to people down there, so they play man coverage a lot. The problem though is they're losing all those one-on-ones. It's like you can get away with playing man if you got the dudes to play man, but down there like they they lose. And I don't necessarily know what the fix is for that because, again, they seem so hesitant to play zone because they really don't. They seem to not be confident in their ability to guard space in zone coverage down there when space is compressed. Like, there has to be a reason why they're playing this much man coverage. But when you can't play man coverage, you got to do something else, right? Like, I, I, I don't know what you do. Like, whether you dial up pressure to force quicker throws so you can rally and tackle. Like, maybe you try different personnel. Like, I, I don't know what the fix is. But, like, 80%. 80%. Like, every time the Chargers got there, they scored. They scored touchdowns in, like, five straight drives. So, they got to figure something out, you know? Because, again, you're going to go up against Philly in the playoffs. You're going to go up, up against, like, San Francisco. You're going to go up against um, you know, Dallas, Minnesota. Like, if your guys can't handle everybody not named Justin Jefferson. How are they going to handle Justin Jefferson? <laughs> so, I, I again, I don't know what they're going to do. They got to do something between now and January because what they're doing now ain't working. It's funny you mention the Chargers because it makes me think a little bit of the Chargers defense. Earlier in the year, we talked about this where they had strengths coming in from last season and we thought those were going to continue. And then it was a little bit like dominoes for the Chargers secondary at the beginning of this year. They tried to play some of the same scheme that they played last year and they couldn't do it. So they did. They pivoted. They're like, okay, you don't, you don't get to play press anymore. We're going to play you off. 
and then they got eaten mm-hmm. in that. <laughs> and then they tried to play trail and they got eaten in that. And it was like, at least you're trying things, but nothing's working. So again, I don't know what the answer is, but Aaron Glenn's got to try some things because to just sort of sit tight and say, Hey, this is, you know, we're going to run what we brung. This is what got us here. That's going to get you run out. Moving on to the Falcons. Uh, I mean, this really doesn't matter what NFC South team we put in here. It's <laughs> it's probably going to be like the same issue. Well, maybe less so for Tampa, but uh, for the Falcons, it's it's definitely quarterback head coach combo, right? Like, because we we love the defense. Like, we love like Jesse Bates got a. Did you see the Bates pick six? By the way, I, I forgot to ask you about it. Like, he's I did. so good. <laughs> he's worth every penny, man. Like the defense is good. Like legitimately good. The offensive line is good. They're like top three in terms of pressure rate allowed we know they can run block super well they got weapons when they want to use them you know but when they want to use them (laughs) but when when you got arthur smith doing the things that arthur smith has done this year in terms of how he uses his personnel in high leverage situations i.e in the red zone and when you have desmond ritter who is i i don't even (laughs) think desmond ritter is like terrible but, like, you know, compare him to, like, some legitimately terrible quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, would Desmond Ritter start over Tim Boyle? You bet your ass he would. But is Desmond Ritter good enough <laughs> to uh. overcome the situation that he is in? No. And that's an issue, right? And so if we're, if we're stacking the Falcons up against, again, the other top teams in the NFC in the playoffs right now, I think they're the fourth seed. So, you know, they're going to have to play against Dallas in the first round if everything holds as it is right now. Do you have any confidence at all at Desmond Ritter going toe-to-toe against Dak Prescott, the way that Dak has played this year? And he's been phenomenal. I don't. Like, I don't at all. So as much as we love the offensive line and, and the weapons on paper and the defense and everything like that, when you don't have any faith in the head coach and the quarterback combination, what do you really have? And to me, it's a solid team that is not going to get past the first round, like at all. No, I would I would say not. And this is, again, the sort of the idea that you put up at the beginning of, OK, who's he better than in the league? And then you get to the next step, which is, OK, we're going to take the top half of quarterbacks in the league, because quite frankly, that's who typically ends up in the playoffs. Do you favor him against any of them? And the answer is no. He's got a 63.3% pass rating over the last month. He played in weeks 9, 10, and 12. And this isn't new. This isn't like he fell off a cliff. He he has been at a fairly plateaued level, which is a low level of quarterback play. And it goes back to the old adage, what you have to do to beat the Falcons is just make Desmond Ritter play quarterback. And if you do that, you're going to win. Like, If you're in the playoffs, you typically have a better quarterback than him. Your defense was okay to get you there. And if you just put all the pressure, put the ball back in Ritter's hands, you're going to win that football game. And the problem with this particular fatal flaw is there's not a way around it. (laughs) There's not another guy. I don't think Heineke's like a lot better. He might give you that on any given Sunday element. In fact, I think he does. This guy, you know, that guy's beaten Tom Brady before on a certain Sunday. Is he a guy that's going to be able to get you through a two or three game stretch in the playoffs playing consistently at a high level? 
he's not. So for the Falcons, there's no real fix. And, you know, look, you said it doesn't matter what team we put in there. Uh, when I wrote this agenda, it was the Saints. <laughs> the Saints played their way out uh, of this particular spot. And, you know, rightfully so, because uh, the Saints have scored. I saw this this morning. This is so painful. The Saints have scored three TDs on their last 32 possessions. The TDs oh, came on two passes from Jameis Winston when Carr was hurt and one from Taysom Hill when Carr was on the sidelines. So of the of the last 32 possessions, the starting quarterback who you paid big bucks to import has scored zero touchdowns. So is it possible that the Raiders, when they jettisoned Carr, were uh, right for the wrong reasons and wrong for the right reasons at the same time, considering what they ended up with? Like... Maybe there it's, just wasn't any com- winning there. I don't know. <laughs> well, there wasn't certainly with a. It's not that much different than the Falcons. There's not that much. There's no winning with a McDaniel's car combination. There obviously wasn't. He wanted to get Jimmy G. I don't think there's a lot more winning in that combination, but there might be some more. Um, we both believe in Aiden more than that. But again, you know, Pete Carmichael and Carr doesn't seem to be working either because 32 trips, no touchdowns from your starting quarterback that's a rugged stat. So the Saints played their way out. The Falcons, quote unquote, played their way in. But it's a very similar thing. You've got Arthur Smith as a head coach and you got Desmond Ritter as the quarterback. I'm not favoring them against any other NFC team that makes the playoffs. One thing really quick, and then we'll get right back to the show. We are smack dab in the middle of fall. So it's crew neck season and obviously quarter zip season two. So if you find yourself in the market for one of those or really anything else, check out our sponsor for today, Viore. If you're watching the YouTube version of this show, I'm wearing one of their crews right now in burgundy, but they also have a variety of other colors and styles too. Their entire brand is all about creating clothes that you can either be active in or go out in. They have extensive activewear lines for both men and women, but also carry a ton of styles for the office or just lounging around the house and watching football. They make clothes for people of all sizes and body types, as evidenced by me, a bigger dude wearing this stuff right now, and the material quality of each garment is really, really good. Everything I have from Viore has been washed several times at this point, probably over 10 times each, actually, considering how often I wear it, and you wouldn't even know the difference. It still feels new to me. So I highly recommend checking out everything that Viore has to offer in their catalog just to see if anything fits your personal style. And if you do go through their selection at viore.com slash filmroom, that's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash filmroom at the link in the description below. And if you find something you like, you can get 20% off your first purchase. And on any orders over 75 bucks, you'll get free shipping and free returns if you end up deciding it's not for you. That's a pretty good deal for first-time customers. So again, that's available at the link in the description below, viore.com slash filmroom. Thank you again to Viore for sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get back to it. Next team up on the docket, 49ers, back in the saddle in the NFC West after a uh, rather unfortunate three-ish week stumble by the Seahawks. Um, In terms of finding a flaw for this team, I would say there's two different 49ers teams that you have to analyze. There's the healthy 49ers, where healthy 49ers could probably beat anybody, Philadelphia included, like a fully armed and operational battle station. I think that if there's anybody that could take them down, it's 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 that team versus an unhealthy 49ers where Trent is out and Debo's out and CMC leaves the game early. Like it's just not a deep team. 
Like they their top line I would put up against anybody. But they are not deep at all. Like everybody not named Trent has struggled in pass protection this year. Like they barely hung on. If you're looking at pressure percentages allowed and everything like that, it's been not great. It's really been not great. Um, and then when Trent was was hurt, it was even worse, right? Um, and then when Debo was out, like he's kind of that that yards after the catch playmaker that when nothing is going right, you could just give it to him and say, Debo, go do something, and he'll get you 20 yards and he'll get a drive going. Um, you know, Brock, I think overall has played really well this year, like truly really well this year. And, you know, even go back a couple weeks ago uh, to like some of the balls that he was throwing to Kittle, you know, completely compressed pocket, no idea how he got it off, perfect placement down the boundary. Like Brock has, Brock's been in his bag lately. But when Brock has to be in his bag without Trent and with everybody else collapsing around him, constantly and without that kind of like just safety blanket of Debo and you know in a game where CMC randomly gets contained I feel like there's just not not the depth on the roster to withstand a to withstand when this team is not fully healthy again when they have all their dudes fine we're locked and loaded we're good let's roll on our way to the NFC championship but if Debo gets dinged up again, if Christian gets dinged up again, if Trent gets dinged up again, if they take any other injuries to the receiving core at all, like even if it's not Debo, if they take one to Ayuk, like every single component of this team is so important and it's such a finely tuned machine that when they don't have one of them, it all kind of falls apart. And that's really kind of the only flaw that I could really think of is they need everybody or it doesn't work. When they don't have everybody, they're a very beatable football team. Yeah, the fly came up with was injuries, and it's the one that knocked them out last year. Like, they probably don't lose that game in the playoffs if they don't obviously lose their starting quarterback and a bunch of other guys. Like, Brock wasn't the only one in that game. And it's just a weird team because you think about other teams and their talent levels. Like, you think about, like, last year's Ravens, right? And, like, if Mark Andrews goes down on that team... Who are you going to throw to? Like he's he's Lamar's favorite target and you don't have a lot of other guys. The 49ers are not in that situation. There's probably seven or eight guys out of the 12 on offense. Again, their offensive line outside of Trent has not been great, but there's probably seven or eight guys with real star power on that offense. And you think, oh, you could lose one, right? You could lose Debo and you've still got CMC and Ayuk and Kittle and all these guys that are at the top end of their position rankings, right? But... The 49ers are just a weird team. When you lose sequence, it's like they lose rhythm. Those other guys were still there, and other teams make do with less, maybe because they're used to it, but it's like the 49ers need all eight cylinders firing, and when one cylinder starts misfiring, the engine just loses like way more horsepower than you think it should because it's all about them working in concert. And You lose one or two, even though you've got six more, who are playing at a really high level, and you'd think, oh, that'll carry them. It just doesn't. They lose their momentum. So injuries is the fatal flaw that I'm worried about. When this team is together and on the field, Brock's been playing extremely sharp football this year. Like I I think he hasn't been getting enough credit for how sharp he's been, especially over the last month or so. 
And CMC, we know, is the engine, you know, much like ETN is on the Jags, like as CMC goes, if they get him rolling, the rest of everybody works out. Ayuk can have a game whenever he wants to. Kittle is the weirdest, I can have a game whenever I want to tight end in the league. They just don't throw to him for two or three weeks, and then he goes off for like 160 and three touchdowns, and you're like, yeah, he could do that every week. Oh, yeah, week. he's really good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why don't they do that more often? And then you realize that this spread around, but he's just that guy, and he seems completely fine with it, which a lot of... Folks in his position wouldn't be. There's a, there's a lot of star power in the NFL that would not be fine with down weeks doing nothing when you know you can go off for over 100 every week. But they are. But they all have to be there. It's like they, they have to align all of the gems or it just doesn't work. It's very strange. Um, so injuries is really the only one because when they're there, they're a steamroller of a team. Speaking of injuries, by the way, they just lost uh, Talanoa Hafunga. Um still too early to tell how that's going to affect the defense but it's it's going to like i have to imagine it will like you don't just lose somebody like a funga and be like yeah we're fine like it's it's gonna mess them up somehow we're just not sure to what degree yet yeah i thought it was going to be a huge thing and then they went out and just rolled the hawks without him i was like well fine there goes another theory i mean the seahawks in their own right and we're we're gonna get to them <laughs> we're gonna get to them <laughs> it's very hard to find a team as talented as them that can't get their shit together as often as them <laughs> like good god watching seahawks game this year is just it's not a pleasant experience okay it's really not but we'll get to them in a little bit we're gonna start off with uh the the wild card teams in the afc now that we're through all the division leaders starting with the steelers talk about not a great watching experience uh, very few games this year have been entertaining to watch for Pittsburgh and a lot of that was because of the Matt Canada offense that throughout his entire reign never crossed 400 yards guess what in their first game without him they did and guess what they actually worked the middle of the field in the passing game who knew you could do that so you know it's possible that their quote-unquote fatal flaw which was their offense is better like, it's very possible that that is on its way to being fixed. Um, but that being said, we, we we still need a few more games, I think, of evidence to show that it's it was more of a Canada issue than a Kenny Pickett <laughs> issue. It looked very, very different yesterday. Fryermuth coming back is huge for them, but also being used in a way that he hadn't been. He had more targets. He had more yards in the first half than he had all season. That's pretty telling. Kenny Pickett hitting, you know, big balls down the boundary, just in a bucket. Haven't seen that. And our buddy Ben Solak posted something this morning that I thought was very telling. The last game before Matt Canada took over as OC was a 400-yard mm -hmm. performance. And the first game after he left was also a 400-yard performance, and they had zero in between. 58 straight games. Like, yeah, it's 400 before he was there, 400 when he left, right? Like they didn't even take any time to warm up. They just ripped that off. So, you know, offense and Matt Canada was obviously the fatal flaw up to the point where they canned him, came out yesterday and looked like, oh, wait, they have firepower on offense now. They're playing Jalen Warren more, which we, you know, lobbied for earlier in the season. And they look a lot more balanced, but somehow, and this is the Steelers weirdness of it all, Without an offense, they still won all those games. And we've been remarking how strange that was. 
this is not a team like the Bengals that dug themselves a hole and then, you know, came back and Burrow was healthy, but we got to win every game. And then they didn't like they won almost every game with no offense. Now that they have one, this is a very dangerous team. I would say if the offense, let's just let's just say the offense is going to do 400 yards 25% of the time, which is the NFL average, right? Sure. 25% of your games, you can expect to get 400 plus yards. So the fact they didn't do it for 58 straight is insane. But let's just say they are average on offense for the rest of the year. What is then the next fatal flaw that we could point to that will give them problems that maybe isn't super fixable between now and January. To me, I would say it's the corners. Again, uh, kind of a similar issue to Detroit. Very man-heavy defense. Well, the Steelers play man, not just in the red zone, but everywhere. Like, they love man coverage. They really do. The problem is, pretty much the only one that I trust to do it is Joey Porter Jr., uh, Levi Wallace has been an issue this year. Patrick Peterson is definitely showing his age this year, you know, getting a bunch of penalties as well. It's, it's been not, uh, not great, Bob. Okay. To, to see this team attempt to play man coverage because you can literally see quarterbacks, look at whoever Joey's covering and be like, mm, I'm going to go over here instead. And it's basically just free yards. So if they go up against a team with more than one great receiver and they have the balls to play man coverage, like let's say they're going up against Baltimore, right? And they get all their dudes back in the playoffs. I don't really have confidence in them in them sustaining this, right? Because remember, when, when they played Baltimore, they dropped eight passes. Like they were getting open. They were getting targeted. They just couldn't hang on to it. Uh, but in a normal game, like the reason why they were in position to drop so many passes is because they were getting so wide open. So I just, I don't trust these corners. I really don't love to see the improvement in the offense. Um, you know, point total or not, I get it. It wasn't like an amazing point total, but at least they looked competent. But in the, in the absence of that being the fatal flaw, I really do think their fatal flaw is their secondary. Like they just, they don't, they don't got enough guys. If they come up against a creative offensive coordinator who is willing to move the alpha receiver around to keep him away from Joey Porter Jr., they're in trouble. And if they run up against a team that has two of those guys, that's worse because then you can only cover Porter can only cover one of them anyways. And yeah, quarterbacks are going to light the other one up because it is a very small speed bump right now to get balls by those other two corners. And you know, as good as Joey Porter Jr. is playing since he achieved full-time status, which was a few weeks late in our opinion, the other corners are playing poorly. So it is lopsided and teams know this. It's not a surprise. Again, the Steelers aren't a big disguise defense. They're not going to quote unquote scheme up those weaknesses. They're just going to roll guys out there and say, hold up. And even if they aren't, they're going to stick with that. That's just, they are a run what they brung team, period. And Offensive coordinators know it, and if they have more dudes than the Steelers do, which is not hard to do right now, they're going to win a lot of the passing matchups, and that goes a long way in the modern NFL to winning you football games. Uh, keeping it in the AFC North, next playoff team on the docket, Cleveland Browns. And, you know, in the offseason, we said the Browns were the dark horse to win the AFC. 
And we were right to a degree. Like you look at how well this defense played and, and you look at how well this team has played when they've actually had all their people. I would put them up against anybody in this conference. The problem is they've rarely had all their people. And with each passing week, they just keep sustaining injury after injury after injury. They lost Nick Chubb. Uh, you know, they lost their quarterback. They lost, uh, God, I can't even, how many offensive linemen is it now? Like three, you know, Miles heard a pop in his shoulder. He was seen in a sling today. You know, Zadarius, he had like a foot thing act up during the game yesterday. You know, actually they lost two quarterbacks because DTR went out of the game yesterday too. Um, and I just, I, I feel like the Browns are like a World War II era bomber that went on a mission and they <laughs> dropped their payload and they did great. They hit every single target and then they just got shot to hell and they're landing and they're coming back and they're like, we're still good. Like we can go back out. And it's like, buddy, like you need new wings. You need a new, like you need everything. Like you're, you are shot to shit right now. They just don't have anybody left. And it's a good team. Like it's legitimately a, not even a good team. It's a great team when they have everybody, but they are running on fumes in terms of all the injuries they've taken this year. And in the absence of, or when they don't have, say, an engine like Nick Chubb to truly carry the offense, and when they're on their third quarterback, and I consider P.J. Walker the third quarterback, not the second quarterback, you know, like I just, I I don't see how this team with such a little margin for error can go on the run that we thought they could go on. Like, they lead the league in drops. Like, they're even higher than Kansas City. People don't realize that. They have the most drops out of anybody. This team can't afford mistakes because they're so banged up. And so when they make mistakes, it just compounds everything because you feel like they can't crawl out of that hole. Just like yesterday, they couldn't crawl out of the hole because you make one mistake and it's like the fucking world ends, right? They're like, oh, God, third and seven. We're screwed. You know, like we had our shot on second down. We blew it. Guess we're going to punt. Like that's what it feels like watching this team. And it's so frustrating because I know what they could have been and should have been. But that's not what we're getting. It's like a combination of Kansas City and Jacksonville in a certain way and the way we've talked Mm -hmm. about those teams. The Browns have a great defense. Kansas City has a great defense. The Browns have a struggling offense, but they don't have Patrick Mahomes. And when DTR was in there yesterday, before he took the big shot and got knocked out of the game, you could see when he hit David Njoku in the hands and he dropped it. When he hit, you know, more in the hands, he dropped it. Like, he's he's demonstrative. He'll probably get over that. He's a young quarterback, but he was he had his helmet in his hands. Like, come on, guys. We don't have the margin to do that. Jerome Ford is still running the wheels off the thing. He's a very good back, I think, obviously playing in a huge shadow of Nick Chubb, but he's been providing enough rushing certainly to win games but it's just about offensive production and points they've scored 13 and 12 in the last two games I don't care how good your defense is in the modern NFL the rules are geared for offense if you score 13 and 12 you're losing a lot of those games they've been riding the defense Miles Garrett is the best player on that defense one of the very best defensive players in the entire league was running around one arm yesterday like the signs are not good for Cleveland, like pulling up their bootstraps and going on a run. They're just, they're out of gas. They don't have anybody at quarterback right now. And like you said, they don't have a ton of tolerance for mistakes. And it just feels like they're the team. If they get down the stretch and they're close, 
they're the team that's going to make the mistake and the other team's going to roll on to victory. And that's kind of the difference in playoff football. And right now, that tendency in the Browns would have me betting against them, not for them. Unless, this is a big unless, if the Browns somehow find their way into playing against the Colts in the playoffs, who is our next team. (laughs) Because, oh my God, Gardner Minshew, like, how is this team winning? Like he, I, I, like he's fun. Like he's good for some explosive plays and some fun plays here and there. But boy, is there anybody more careless with the ball right now than Gardner Minshew? Like the fact this team is over five hundred and and the seven seed and has the seven seed, I should say, is a testament to how dominant their defensive line has been. Like they've been playing out of their minds. Um, you know, like Jonathan Taylor's been really picking it up. Like. The fact that this team has won with Gardner being that sketchy <laughs> in terms of his willingness to give the ball away, like it's a testament to Shane Steichen. It's a testament to the roster. Like I cannot believe that this team is is in the position that they are with the quarterback play that they've had. Uh, if they had Anthony Richardson, They'd probably be winning the division right now. Like truly, they yep. would be winning the division right now because they've the team has played that well. The quarterback is the problem. And I think that's the fatal flaw. Like he's gonna find a way to mess this up in January. Like I think he will. Minchu is who he is at this point, and he is a known known, and he is gonna throw it up. And fans will love him for that for the first month. And then they will hate him for that after that because he didn't even play for the first month, pretty much. He certainly didn't start. He's tied for first in the league with 15 turnover-worthy plays, and he's fourth in the league with eight interceptions, and he didn't play the first, the majority of the first four games. Like, Richardson got dinged a couple times and he came in, but he really didn't start until Richardson goes on IR, and he's still leading the league in turnover-worthy plays. Like, this is who he is. And he is going to throw it up and he's going to give those receivers chances. And Michael Pittman has been, you know, I'll say benefiting from that, although he's been taking a bunch of shots because of it. He's been laying his body on the line to go get those throws. And we see it with all the talent. You talked about the roster. It's not just Pittman. They got Josh Downs and they got Pierce. They got a bunch of tight ends who they haven't even really been using. Jonathan Taylor's back. Like, this is a powerful team, but I'm with you. It just feels like that quarterback, Minshew, is that guy that is just going to throw you at least one ball a game as the opposition, probably more than that. And that's going to be the difference, even though this team is really talented and has been playing, just playing their socks off. Like this is a great team. I really, I, I cannot not have a pang about what this team would have been with AR at the helm. Right now. And this is might actually send a shiver down the spine of chiefs fans. Right now, if the playoffs started today, it would be Indy at Kansas City. And Kansas City has a problem with Indy. All right, like let's be real. They do. But that Chiefs defense going up against Gardner Minshew would be a snuff film. Okay. Like it, it, it it's not, not legal a, in a most winning states. recipe. No, no. So I, again, Will the Colts make the playoffs? Maybe. Like they're in the driver's seat right now. You you know, take care of business the rest of the year. They got to fend off Houston. They got to fend off Denver and all that. But like they could. Do I think they're going to get past the wild card round with Gardner at quarterback? No. 
and maybe if he's on a uh, heater again any given Sunday, it's possible. But would they make it past the next Sunday? And he answers, absolutely not, because you used it up all your juju in the last week. Like you might get lucky and and win one, you know, at the gun with him because he is a gunslinger, and sometimes that pays off. But the odds are coming for you. The house always wins, and the house ain't Gardner Minshew. He's the gambler, not the house. I will say this. Seeing this defensive line and seeing how the offense has functioned and JT and everything like that, when they get AR back next year, like my, I'm going to make some really irresponsible predictions about this Colts team, okay? Like, full disclosure, it's going to happen. Because this team is really, really good, and they have a lot of money. If, if they keep it together, if they keep this core together, like they're they're going to do something next year. But I think it's a testament to Shane Steichen that that they're even in position to make the playoffs this year after losing their quarterback like four weeks into the year. So, anyway, uh, all right, that brings us to the NFC wild card teams, current wild card teams, Dallas Cowboys, and they don't feel like a wild card team because they're. <laughs> like one of the best teams in the conference, but that's just how the the playoff structure is. That if you're if you happen to be in a division with the Eagles, doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to be the five seed. And I think this Cowboys team feels a little bit different, a little bit different. Like we've seen some game management problems from McCarthy throughout this year. Believe me, we have. But they've also gotten a lot better throughout the year at things that they were really bad at early on you know like they started out being one of the worst red zone offenses in the league the first four or five weeks they were 30th right they've steadily climbed their way back up to being 16th so they've improved they've started to use more motion at the snap they started to use more motion in general Dak has played awesome defense hasn't really missed a beat despite their injuries you know it it feels like this team throughout the season has slowly but surely fixed their issues. So they don't have a lot of issues. However, (laughs) this is big however, when they play against the Eagles, when they play against the 49ers, I don't know what it is about their discipline because they're very disciplined against everybody else. They're very buttoned up against everybody else. But, like, we've seen it twice now against the 49ers and the Eagles where just something is slightly off. And, you know, it's like you got Schoonmaker who's, like, five inches short. You got Dak a toe out of bounds. Like, something just happens. And I I don't think it's that the pressure gets to them, but it it just feels almost like, uh, like when I watch guys on the field, and again, like, I, and I went back and I watched the Eagles game uh, two nights ago. Because I was working on this script, and I was like, "What what happened against the Eagles?" And I was watching tape, and like you saw guys kind of looking around, like they before the snap. This happened like eight or nine times in that game. They're looking around, like trying to figure out like what they were doing. And I don't know if it was because there was a communication issue or what, but it just felt like nothing was buttoned up in that game. And they still almost won; like they came damn close to winning. But it felt like discipline was off, communication was off, and they just felt wrong right they just felt wrong in that game and I don't know if it was you know you're going into it over prepared and so you're thinking too much or what but it just felt like they were fighting against themselves that entire game then you go watch the 49ers game 
And that was the biggie, right? That was where they got blown out, where they were facing all these condensed formations. And, you know, Shanahan was forcing Quinn to play a whole bunch of cover three instead of the man coverage that he really likes to play. And they just abused the linebackers and they didn't have any adjustments. They didn't, they didn't have a way to combat that. And they just felt wrong. They felt undisciplined. The communication was bad. There was broken coverages all over the place. And there's something about when they play against these other top tier contenders, like there's something in their week of preparation that leads to breakdowns of communication, that leads to lack of discipline, that leads to them, again, literally looking around before the snap, trying to figure out what the, what the hell's going on. It doesn't happen against other teams. So I don't know what it is. This is the only team where the flaw is, I don't know. All I know is, something happens when they play those big games. Like something in their week of preparation is different because that doesn't happen against the Giants. That doesn't happen against the Panthers. It's just against the Eagles and 49ers. And I don't get it. I'm going to chalk their flaw up to playing good teams. And I don't have the reason for it like you don't, but this reminds me very much of like a powerhouse high school team that just steamrolls everybody in their little league, right? They beat them all by 50. They're just a phenom. And then they roll into the state playoffs and you got to play some big, tough team from across the state, right? The stage is bigger. The lights are brighter. There's more people in the stands and they go in and they look shaky and they lose. And you're like, holy cow, that team was 8-0 or 9-0 and their average margin of victory was 55 points in their home league. Nobody came close. All the Cowboys wins have come against teams with losing records. You talk about iron sharpens iron, right? And you talk about the Eagles playing tough teams and grinding it out and not playing their best game. We've said that almost all year, but they still keep winning. And that just builds a callus. It builds a muscle, right? Hey, we've got it. We're not going to panic. We're in another tight game with another good team. We win these, right? And Dallas has the opposite of that, whatever that is, right? They get in these big games and they're like, we could play with these guys, man. And they do. Yeah, case in point, the Eagles game. They were inches away from winning that game. But that's the difference between teams come playoff time is when you've got that last few minutes and you cannot be undisciplined, make a mistake, blow a coverage, miss an open route, right? It only takes one. And Dallas, I'm not going to call them soft. That's not the word I'm looking for. But they do not have that sort of battle-hardened, battle-tested. When they come up against weak teams, they roll them off the field. They come up against good teams, they play a tight game, but they don't win. And it's it's almost just like they're out of practice because they haven't had that many games this year against really good teams. That's I don't what know how is. you develop that. Yeah, that That's what it is, though. The Eagles have played against five teams over 500. Dallas played against two. Right. Totally so agree. Like, you don't, they don't even have as many chances to do it. Right. And what, what I don't, and again, we are not saying that Cowboys are frauds. They can't beat no. good teams. That's like, that's, that is not the point here. We said at the beginning of the show, the narrative of, oh, you don't beat Philly. You're fraudulent. Like it's bullshit. Okay. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is something about this team fundamentally changes in their discipline, in their communication when they go up against Philly, when they go up against San Francisco. And we don't know what it is. Like, we really don't know what it is. But so, like it, it is a tangible effect on the field. They play worse against those teams. Like, 
talent for talent, they don't make the same plays they do. And it's not just about like, oh, yeah, of course they're going to make better plays against Carolina. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like, like simple checks. Like they struggle to make simple checks. You know, they, they make pass protection mistakes, like schematic mistakes in pass protection where like somebody's going to slide the wrong way or the running back just completely miss. Like, I don't know why that happens against Philly, but it does. But and, it does. But it does. And and it's it's just, it's inexplicable, but that's kind of the only flaw we could really come up with because the rest of the team is awesome. So, I don't know. Believe me, it pains me to say nice things about a McCarthy-managed offense, but he has earned them since midseason, like you said. There have been positive changes in this offense, in this team, that have made it better. Now, how do you get over that last little hump? I don't know. And it feels like, it almost feels like the Andy Reid thing, right? Can't win the big one in Philadelphia. Oh, what do you do to fix that? It's a really good coach, manages the roster really well, puts up points, but just doesn't win the big one. Until you do. And it's going to be the same with Dallas. Until they go out and put down, definitively put down a very good team, this is going to you know follow them around like luggage. That's It's just the way it's going to happen. All right, next team on the docket. Uh, <laughs> speaking of teams that find a way to win, even when it makes no sense, <laughs> you know, like the Bizarro Cowboys this year are the Minnesota Vikings. And they've done it in a variety of different ways. They've done it with multiple different quarterbacks. Um, I, I wish I had some sort of coherent explanation for just the Vikings in general. You know, they're just a weird team. They're a weird team that wins a lot of games, but they're a weird team. Uh, again, we are recording this before their game tonight uh, against Chicago. So for all we know, they're going to do NFC North things and, and the Bears are going to find a way to win the game. We don't know. Like, most likely not. But yeah, it's the NFC North. Anything can happen. So again, this is before that Monday night game. But going into that game, the one flaw that that we could really kind of point to is pass rush. And for a team that blitzes as much as they do, and they blitz a whole hell of a lot, like over the last five weeks, I believe they're fourth or fifth in terms of blitz percentage. They were first, and then they kind of toned it down uh, over the last <laughs> five, six weeks or so. But <laughs> they're still very down. high. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, oh, it's only 45% now, not 65%. Um, but they still blitz a lot. The The issue, though, is that they're not winning as much as they were early on in the year. The third lowest pass rush win rate uh, team-wide out of all NFL teams over the last three games. Um, they've allowed the fourth most explosive passing games in the NFL over their last three games. They're not getting home when they drop out. They're really only getting home when they send everybody. And so when you drop your blitz percentage and you're not sending people as much, that's tanking their pass rush win rate because they can't just win with the four they're sending, right? And I think that's going to be a little bit of an issue because if the only way they can get to the passer is by sending five and six guys because they can't get there with four, that does make them pretty predictable on defense. And it means Flores is going to have to you know, rely on all of his guys to hold up in space when the when the offensive coordinator knows that they're all going to be alone in space because they can't rush the passer otherwise, right? So it's uh, it's a little bit of a catch twenty two, in the sense of okay, 
do I keep dropping out and trying to rally and tackle and knowing I'm not going to get to the quarterback? Or do I try to get to the quarterback again and trust my guys to hold up in space? I don't know what the right answer is. I really don't. Um, other than just, I don't know, get good. Like, yeah. <laughs> like try to improve <laughs> the ones you are sending. Um, you know, maybe get Ivan Pace a little bit more involved. Like, I, I don't really know what the answer is here. But I do know that, that teams have kind of caught on to the shtick a little bit in terms of how blitz heavy they were. And, uh, and, and the result has not been favorable for Minnesota over the last three weeks, at least defensively. I hope that Flores has a couple more in his back pocket that he hasn't shown or used because the word that you use that was on my mind is predictability. And you can bet that every offensive coordinator that's going up against Minnesota knows the deal at this point, and they are going to bring every blitz beater they've got. And the reads are somewhat simplified because of that predictability. And I think one of the big sort of misunderstandings or misnomers about blitzes is it really limits what you can do. If you know it's coming, you can do a lot against the blitz and you Mm -hmm. can gash it like there are weaknesses with blitzing, just like everything else where blitzing really has its power is when it's disguised and you don't know what's coming and you get a look that you haven't seen before. And opposing offensive coordinators are not getting that from the Vikings. They're getting very predictable blitz looks and they have their blitz beaters ready. They're like, okay, bring it because we know how you're going to bring it. We know where you're going to bring it from. And this is what we've got to go behind it. And until Flores can mix that up and muddy the picture a little bit. And that's why I said, I hope he's got some in his back pocket that he hasn't used yet that he's going to roll out if and when they make the playoffs to confuse people a little bit, because if he comes with the predictability, it is damned if you do damned if you don't, because his guys aren't holding up and they aren't getting home unless they send it opposing offensive coordinators know that they're coming prepared. And that is not a winning strategy for defense in the playoffs. All right. Last team here, Seattle Seahawks (laughs) talked earlier about how this team is incredibly frustrating to watch because they cannot get out of their own way. <laughs> yeah, um, this is the roller coaster it, personified on the field. Like, that's all it is. Oh, easily, easily. And, you know, there, there, we actually had a lot of choices for Fatal Flaws <laughs> for Seattle. Like, this, this was not one that we had to go looking for. Uh, and so we kind of had to narrow it down, right, in terms of, like, okay, what what's, like, the, the most fatal of their Fatal Flaws? For me, it's they have to find a way to get the magic back on shots outside the numbers. They kind of lived and died by that last year. And their explosive plays, especially deep outside the numbers, were their secret sauce. They didn't really work the middle of the field. Um, You know, the run game was inconsistent, but when you could hit a 30, 40 yard bomb to lock it or DK or whatever, and get the offense going, like that was how they got going. And we thought they drafted JSN so they could work the middle of the field more. And they've done that more the last couple weeks, but it took them a while to get there, right? Like they didn't really use JSN for the first two and a half months. But even on their shots outside the numbers, they have not had the same consistency and effectiveness as last year, and it's completely sapped their offense. Situationally, they're also really bad. They're not good in the red zone. They're not good on third down. And so when you take away the one thing that they were good at, you know, when they have the 27th, passer rating as a team on shots outside the numbers that's not good enough because that was the one thing they could hang their hat on they have the third highest turnover worthy play percentage 
Geno has 11 turnover-worthy plays. That's the second behind only, you know, the New England amalgamation of quarterbacks. Seven uh, to six touchdown to interception ratio outside the numbers. Like, just that magic in that area of the field is gone this year. And it's it's laying all of their other flaws bare. You know, the lack of red zone productivity, the lack of of consistency on third down. Without those explosives, all the other stuff is worse. And so to me, the fatal flaw is when they can't hit those throws, this team is dead in the water, like completely dead in the water. And until they get that back, and theoretically it's fixable, it's just basically Gino hitting the throws, right? But until they get that back, I'm starting to wonder if they're even going to make the playoffs because they they kind of rely on that just to win. Feels like a team taking on water over the last month. I've been watching Gino pretty closely over the last month. Got to see him in person versus the Commanders. But even so, the other games, this has been a consistent theme. He needs to play faster and more consistently. I've looked at him again every game over the past month and said man come on Gino throw it see it come on see it throw it just can't whoa looks like last season's fairy dust has worn off pretty consistently and he's holding the ball too long leading to missed opportunities and too many negative plays you see him look and look and look and then just fold and get sacked that's an explosive play for the defense like you said without those explosive plays for the offense to counter those to get them back into it to pick up the third and 17s they're just done. They punt. You know, Shane Waldron's star has taken a pretty solid tarnishing over the last month. He was riding high at the beginning of the season. Lots of people talking about him, including us, you know, thinking that he might have, you know, offensive head coach openings, you know, opening up to him at the end of the year. It's not going to happen under this current current bit. And the quarterback has to trigger this. Let's be clear. Geno's not seeing it fast enough. And or clearly enough, and when he is, he's just not triggering. It's it's a beat late. Come on, come on, come on. And the running game's been okay. They've gotten a few guys back on the offensive line, but the pass pro generally hasn't been good enough to hold up with him playing like that. And if they don't get chunk plays, too many drives stall out, red zone percentage goes down, and I'm with it. feels like a team that's sort of listing into the playoffs, not steaming into the playoffs. And if they're not careful... Green Bay will take their spot. Like, because Green Bay is coming. All right. Jordan Love, you know, we, we <laughs> talked last really week. Well. It's like, hey, if Jordan, if Jordan Love plays like the game he played two weeks ago over the next six weeks, like, yeah, they're probably going to go on a little bit of a run here. And then, of course, they go out against Detroit and Jordan plays great. And it's like, oh, God, Green Bay got another one. Right. So, like, if Seattle's not careful, they will lose their playoff spot to Green Bay. And they, they got to get it fix quick or we won't even be talking about them in January um do you I'm not gonna I mean I will put you on the spot here but let's just say Green Bay takes that spot just based on recent Mm -hmm. results do you have Mm -hmm. a fatal flaw for them off the top of your head well again they feel a little bit like the Steelers right if you'd asked me about their fatal flaw you know two weeks ago three weeks ago I would have said, look, Jordan Love has to play a lot better and their young pass catchers have to step up as well and like neither of those things were happening and then both of those things started happening over the past two weeks and then he comes out against the lions plays really well and apparently green bay's allotted amount of downtime after three decades worth of hall of fame quarterbacking is six months 
and now they're back <laughs> to having good quarterbacking again. Whereas some of know, those throws Bears, he made, by the way, whew, he was great. Whereas the Bears get six months of good quarterbacking and then are stuck with a decade of poor quarterbacking. So it's it's just an inverse ratio. Don't know why that is. Was but your no, was your played. six months of good quarterbacking? Was that like the one good year with Tressman and Cutler? Is that where you're? If if you don't know, that's the problem. <laughs> like it's like Grossman had his run, Cutler had his run, even Orton had a little bit of a run. But like that's it. That's all you get. Eric Kramer was the run before that. Like it, it's just not great. But Jordan Love, to I mean to the point about the Packers, they feel like they are coming forward. They need to get you know running backs healthy but again the defense stepped up as well the defense had not been playing great Rashawn Gary came out had a great game and you know this team looks like one of those teams that is getting its act together in the back half of one season getting ready to go on a run entering the next season when it adds some more talent and they did not look like that three weeks ago over the last three weeks there's been kind of a steady drumbeat of improvement and you know they need to keep that going. Lafleur feels like everybody kind of caught up to him. I don't think Lafleur got bad at coaching. I think he was waiting for everybody to execute, and that was not happening, and he was trying to find ways, and he said, as most good coaches and teachers do, coaches and teachers, same thing. Like, it's on me. I need to find a way to communicate this so that they pick it up because they're not picking it up right now, and they're capable of it, and he knows they're capable of it. He sees it in practice, but they weren't seeing it on the field. Now they're starting to see it on field. And you could see Jordan Love running off the field after the Detroit game, completely different, like, personal affect, right? He was glowing. He was like, look, see, I knew I could do it. Look at that. I just did it against one of the NFL's best teams. And I did it pretty handily. And I think I could do that again. You could just see that. And LaFleur's got to be super happy with his guys. And they're they're very much like the Steelers to me in the AFC. I mean, they're going to be a dangerous team. Jordan Love, and again, it's it's funny you mentioned how he kind of looked walking off after that game. Like it, it was one of the first times where you saw Jordan be like, "Yeah, I did that. Like I I I made the throws. I won the game." Whereas like you look at early in the season when it was more like quote unquote team wins. Like Jordan wasn't. It's like, oh, you threw an angle route against, uh, you know, against the Bears to Aaron Jones and Aaron took off and did the thing and they'd get wins. And it was almost like uh, if you ever see the boys where Homelander is like in the crowd and he's like, yeah, yeah. Ah, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> like they love but now, me. Aaron, now <laughs> Jordan loves like I did the damn thing. Like I'm the guy I made the throws like some of the ones he made against Detroit were awesome, like like true needle threaders and. I mean, it's terrifying for Bears fans because it's just like nom flashbacks. Like, oh, God, here we go again. But for Packers fans, you know, the September or rather October Packers versus the November Packers are two entirely different teams. And I feel a lot better about them right now than I do about, you know, some of the other current NFC playoff contenders because at least the Packers are moving in the right direction. So we'll see. We'll see, uh, yep. we'll see how far they can go here. Um, all right, that'll wrap it up for today's show. I want to thank all of our executive producers over on the Patreon tier uh, for EPs. Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. Once again, thank all of you very much for your support. 
Uh, if you guys want to join the executive producer tier or any of the tiers over on Patreon, again, you can find that linked in the description below. Uh, for the patrons that voted on which merch you wanted to be available, we thank you guys as well. That is available right now over on Homage. If you want to check out that link too, anything you buy directly supports the show. And with that, uh, EJ, we're going to get out of here. And uh, we do not have a topic selected for our second show of the week so far. So we're going to go figure that out. And then uh, just word to the wise, we are still doing our uh, TNF stream this week. Uh, but I will be in Colorado uh, on Monday, so we won't have a recap show next week. It'll just be the quote-unquote second show of the week or the back half of the week show next week. So we got two this week, one next week. It's holiday season, you know. Stuff is shifting every single week. Uh, anyway, we're going to get out of here. We'll see you guys soon.